0: this is the greg cody show with greg cody pardon it here's your host greg cody take me out to the ball 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 game game. take me out to the crowd Greg Cody's coughing and he will hack. I don't care if I ever get back. So it's root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game.
1: Wow, Yeti bailed you out there.
2: Well,
0: that's
2: definitely better than my version.
3: I wanted—I been... just
1: wanted Greg to sit in his. <laughs>
3: I wanted to okay. just hear
1: dad. Eh, brada D. Do you even know the lyrics to "Take Me Out to the Ball Game"? Or do you? I don't really know like... all of them, no. I, I <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: that's right. I, at Greg Cody Day, you had to read them. You forgot them, right? I did. Yeah.
1: He'll start saying brada D. dee dee.
2: Right. I end, my expertise ends at Cracker Jack, <laughs> but take me out to the ball game. Take. Me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and that kind of thing. Peanuts. Isn't it peanuts and Cracker Jacks? Oh, peanuts. Okay, what do you think I said? I thought
1: you said penis and Cracker Jacks.
2: Okay, here's the thing about this episode, man. We are celebrating... America's pastime. Well, at least, at least what used to be. America's past its prime. Baseball. <laughs> That's right. The, the sport that was flourishing in the 1940s through the 80s and then has been struggling ever since and just went through a three-month work stoppage and now is heaving into its season. And to celebrate the fact that uh, baseball has the oldest demographic of fans of any sport, we have two guests on today's episode who are a combined 151 years old. Yes. and (laughs) And We should Um, throw you
1: in there. We're over 200 with you three.
2: (laughs) Oh, counting, counting the hosts. Yes, counting the hosts. But um, are you saying today's? Have, uh,
1: are you saying this is our MLB preview episode uh,
2: three days after the season started? Yeah, three days after the season started. Nice. We wanted to make sure it was going to start. <laughs> you know, after that lockout. that's what happened. But lot, um, okay. uh, the Marlins were based in Miami, as you know. <laughs> uh, the Marlins home opener isn't until later in the week, this Thursday night. So, uh, but we're happy to have a friend of the show FOS Tim Kirchen the ESPN baseball expert on. He's a young pup. He's 65. Uh, and then later in the show, uh, the 86-year-old legend himself, Stratomatic inventor, Hal Richman, is on the show with us today.
1: Stratin it. Don't we also have Jerry Garcia on the show?
2: <laughs> you know, he, he, he makes the briefest appearance possible. The Jerry Garcia. This is impressive. <laughs> It is the guy from the Grateful Dead that we reference. Wow. And um, I can't wait I for, thought that. for a minute. We were doing a seance and he was on the show. Uh, Stu Goss would have been involved in that. I don't think we could get uh, Jerry Garcia in a seance without Stu to help. But yeah, Christopher, you start talking right now because I sound like shit. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you've said it all. You teed it up. No, not to, you know, you put the ball in the tee for this episode i'd say
2: yep just like i did for you when you were five and a half years old and and
1: now all it's time for is i think that we should just get to let's just jump right into it let's do it we if fos tim kirchhen um i it's just a delightful voice to hear yeah and uh we caught him he, we talked to him like the day before the season started so he was busy and re- in grind mode and he was ready to talk some hardball and uh let's talk to him right now tim
3: kirchhen timmy the k bring it tom hey tim hey chris hi greg how's it going okay guys how you
1: doing great doing all right man i appreciate you carving some time this is this is peak busy for you right yeah when is your busiest time of the year
3: this is pretty good it's pretty bad but it's pretty good yeah. I like being this busy because we got good stuff ahead
1: tim it's good to see you we miss you we were just talking before air like how how great it is to see you every time um But you sent me a text. I actually did my first broadcast last week with Billy. We did a a Marlins spring training game, doing color commentary. And you sent me a nice text. I just want to thank you on the front end because I'm telling you, Tim, I was a little nervous right before. And I thought back on your text. I was like, just relax, watch the game. So I appreciate that.
3: And we don't watch the games very well anymore. And... We say a lot of things that don't mean anything. So I I think I said, when you say something, teach us something, educate us, tell us something we don't know, which is what I try to do. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's what I
4: try to do.
2: Tim, um, keeping in mind, this is a Miami-based podcast. I'm teeing you up here. I want you to name one surprise team in each league that's going to exceed expectations this year. Come on, Tim.
3: Okay, uh, (laughs) I'm going to say the Tigers are much better than people think. Now, I'm not saying the Tigers are going to make the playoffs. I'm saying the Tigers are really starting to build something there. They have some really interesting young starting pitching with, with Scooble and Mize and Manning. I mean, they, they've got some interesting arms on their club. They picked up Austin Meadows, which is really going to help their lineup. They're not one of the six playoff teams, but I think they're a team that's going to make a nice little jump in that league. In the National League, again, this is not a real surprise, but I like what the what I saw from the Phillies this spring. The Phillies should have been better last year and in recent years. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2011, but they added, you know, Nick Castellanos, who is an elite hitter. They added Kyle Schwarber, who was a dominant player. Certainly, at times last year, they should have scored way more runs last year. And now you look at their lineup it's pretty darn good. And when you can go Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez top of the rotation, if they can find some bullpen help, which they've had trouble doing, I think they're a surprise enough team that they can make the playoffs in the national league. Now I can make the case
2: for the Marlins only because I think their top three starters are really good. Uh, They've improved a week lineup. Uh, They have a top six farm system right now. Um, Make the case for if if you had to make the case for the Marlins and and be optimistic, what is the upside to Miami?
3: Um, I'm not sold on the Marlins yet. I love their pitching like everybody else and their depth of pitching. They have kids in the minor leagues on the way. I just know they're a subpar offensive team and we're a really bad offensive team last year. Now they've gotten better. Some of the people they've added, Joey Wendell is a really helpful, useful guy at multiple infield positions. He takes a great at bat. Jorge Soler has tremendous power. If he's anywhere close to the guy we saw in the postseason or a few years ago with the Royals, he's really going to help them. But Look, that division is pretty darn good. The Braves are the defending world champs, and they have a chance to be maybe better than they were, at least in the regular season last year. The Mets, if they can ever get their pitching healthy, which is a big if, are pretty darn good too. And I just told you, I think the Phillies are going to the playoffs. So I think the Marlins are a fourth place team in that division, but another team that has some interesting weapons and a team that is clearly on the way up.
1: Interesting weapons is such a nice way of saying they have no offense. I appreciate that at least though, Tim. Thank you. Um, what do you think about all this sign stealing technology? I, I'm not even sure. I, I, like I want to explain it to the audience, but I don't even, I'm not even sure how it really works yet. The catcher is going to have some way to get to the pitcher what where he wants it and what pitch he wants and where it's at. It's all confusing to me. I don't like it. I think sign stealing is part of the game. If I'm stealing your signs, come up with better signs, Like, I think this is the weird, I'd rather have fake uh, robot umpires than this technology. Like, what's up with this? Well,
3: I don't want robot umpires and I don't want this technology either because I'm with you, Chris. I think it's an art to stealing signs. Ted Simmons was the greatest one of all time. He taught it to uh, Paul Molitor, who taught it to the Blue Jays when he went there and they ended up winning a World Series. Uh, It's I just think what we're doing now is not necessary. I think we should be better at giving the signs better, hiding them better. And the thing that really bothers me is, are the infielders going to know what pitch is coming? Cal Ripken pulled me aside during a playoff game about, I don't know, 15 years ago and said, typical Cal Ripken, did you see what happened in the sixth inning tonight? And I said, no, what he goes? It's a playoff game. He said the pit, the catcher went out to the mound to change to change the sign to the pitcher, and none of the infielders came in to know what what he's doing. Ripken looked at me and said, "There wasn't one pitch thrown." in my entire career when i was on defense that i didn't know what pitch was being thrown and at what location it was being thrown i told this exact story to ryan sandberg from the same time period he stopped me in the middle of it and said wait a minute are are you going to tell me that the infielders were not in on uh the pitcher changing the sign and the catcher changing the sign in the middle of an at bat i said Yes, that's what I'm telling you. He goes, just like Ripken, not one pitch was thrown in my career that I didn't know the pitch and the location. And then I would tell Mark Grace on every single pitch, this is what is coming and we're going to lose in theory. We're going to lose some of that. And I'm not sure that's good for the game. And I definitely don't think it's necessary.
1: That tech, this technology, this rule change is just the Astros' fault, right? That's what this is. If that doesn't, if that never happens, then this doesn't happen, right? Like this is just the league feeling like they've got, like they're embarrassed of that, so like we got to fix that.
3: Yeah, I think the Astros are certainly partly to blame for this. And (laughs) sometimes I just think we worry a little bit too much about stuff in baseball when we should just let the guys play once in a while.
2: Yeah. Does um does the coveted Tim Kershon? Seal of approval, uh, go to the universal DH?
3: Uh, yeah, it does, but for only one reason just the uniformity of the rule is important. I have found it preposterous that since 1973, we played with two different sets of rules. Last year, for instance, the Red Sox finished the season in Washington with an interleague series and they had to win and they don't even get to use their DH in a National League ballpark. To me, that was, it was unfair. It was stupid. I also find it ridiculous that National League pitchers I mean, uh, American League pitchers never have to bat until they go into a National League ballpark, and now they haven't. Some of them haven't hit since high school, yeah. and now they have to hit in a Major League game. To me, that is ridiculous. Also, so I'm in favor of the universal DH, but I just wrote four thousand words for esvn.com the other day saying <laughs> how much I'm going to miss pitchers hitting. Madison Bumgarner hit two home runs on opening day once. He's the only pitcher ever to do that. We're obviously never going to see that again. By the way, Adrian Beltre never hit a home run on opening day. Hit 477 homers. Johnny Bench never hit an opening day homer. He had 389. But we had a pitcher that did that. Hit two. And Bartolo Colon, that was like the biggest home run of the season in 2019 when he hit that home run. So I think we should... I think I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna miss pitchers hitting because when you see a really good hitting pitcher, that's interesting. When you see a really bad hitting pitcher who actually gets a hit off a good pitcher, that's fascinating. I've got all sorts of stories and stats about pitchers hitting, and those days, sadly for me, are over. So it's because you want them to be playing by the same. Because it seems
1: like you want it, but you don't. So it's because of the. It's because you want the rules to be the same. That 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 weighs more important to you?
3: Yes. Look, if I were in charge of this, I would have the pitchers hit in both leagues. Yes. No more. That's what I would do. But that's that's not practical in today's games. We try to keep pitchers healthier for running the bases and swinging the bat. We have to take them off the field more often. But I'm not in favor of that. I'm just trying to be logical here that one of the two options, I I would rather have all the pitchers hit. But that simply wasn't going to happen. I'm with you.
2: So uh, Commissioner of Baseball, Tim Kirchin, is with us. That'd be awesome. It would be awesome. I would absolutely love it. Uh, Commissioner, what do you think of the defensive shift? It's either a very smart, analytical thing to do, or it's one of the worst things to ever happen to baseball.
3: Well, I think it's it's time to get rid of uh, the shift. Uh, Mark Teixeira has talked me into this. I argued with him and many others for years and years, but now he has convinced me that this is at least a chance to get away from all the walks, homers, and strikeouts. For instance, big left-handed hitter. We'll just use Joey Gallo, okay? It could be almost anybody. He comes to the plate. He looks at the right side of the infield, and there are three infielders over there, and one of them is in shallow right field. He looks at it and says, well, I can't hit it through there, so I'm going to have to hit it over the shift. That's my only chance to get a hit, because I'm sorry, this is what I've come around to. There are so many hitters who are simply incapable of hitting the ball to the opposite field. Or put a bunt down, or lay a bunt down. Am I right, Tim? I mean, Jesus. Right. Once in a while. But they don't know how to bunt either, because the industry has told them, I don't want you to hit a soft single to left field, and I don't want you to bunt either. It's not even the player's fault anymore. The industry has told them, we want you to pull the ball, get it up in the air, and hit the ball out of the ballpark. But if we start each play with two fielders on each side of second base and all feet on the infield dirt when the play begins, now just using Joey Gallo, he looks at the field and says, Wow, I could hit a hard ground ball up the middle and actually get a hit here. Yeah. Maybe that would take some of our guys and say, All right, I don't have to get every ball up in the air. Now, I'm not suggesting this is going to work. I'm just saying I am. I am willing to give this a try because I repeat, there is way too many walks, strikeouts and homers and not enough in between. And the good stuff in a lot of ways is the in-between stuff.
1: See, that's why like, I kind of agree with you on the shift rules. But like, th- there's part of me that's just like, why can't we teach kids how to hit? Like you used to know how to hit. Why can't we get back to higher out? At- like, do we just have to punt on that? And that's why you've kind of given in on like, all right, fine. Let's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's
3: Chris, it's too late. We have to start with our 10 <laughs> and 12 year olds and say, okay, look, we're going to teach you to be a good hitter, but we're going to show you other ways to hit other than launching. I'm doing that with my
1: four-year-old. Right. I got my four-year-old hitting on the, the outside tee. I'm doing the tee game with her and we're going the opposite field. We're putting the ball deep in the zone. Like I used to coach baseball, but I got her like we're my my daughter's softball team will have a, a hitter on their hands.
3: Right. Well, just imagine though if you've been told by your organization, right. by the industry This is the way that you hit. And then they come to you and say, all right, we want to change the way that you've been swinging the bat for the last 15 years. And we want you to face Max Scherzer tonight and put that into play. I don't think that's going to happen. If we went to a great NBA jump shooter right now and said, okay, you know, the way you're releasing the ball, you know how you don't watch the flight of the ball when you really should. You know how long it would take him to make that adjustment? He would say, no, 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 this is the way I shoot. I can't change this now. And that's unfortunately where we are in baseball. And it's going to take changing our 12-year-olds so they know different ways to hit when they get to be 24 and make it to the big leagues.
1: Like, I need a, I need a Miguel Cabrera. I need a Manny Ramirez. I need a, a Tony Gwynn. Those type of hitters... Like like you're just telling me those are, I'm not going to see those anymore.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I saw Miguel Cabrera at a Tigers game against the Yankees. This is probably 10 years ago. Okay. They shift on him and he hits mm-hmm. a routine ground ball to where the second baseman is supposed to be. Yep, he runs like... to first base, and he's just laughing at the, the Yankees' yeah. dugout. And it wasn't a big hit. It didn't score a run. Right. But he was just looking at him like, are you serious that you yeah. think you can, you can shift on me and I can't get a ground that. ball right there? That's ridiculous. That. But that's Miguel Cabrera. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time. And if they shifted on Tony Gwynn, and I've heard this a hundred times, from people in the game. They shifted like they do on Tony Gwynn. He did 400 every year because he would figure out, well, if you're not going to, if you're going to leave that spot open, I'm going to hit it there.
1: It's wild that they won't. That's it's wild. Dad, you look so ominous right now.
2: Yeah. The lighting here is kind of crazy. Uh, Tim, before we let you go, um, I want to veer off baseball for just a minute. Uh, Christopher and I in the podcast are doing uh, a father-son Olympics where we're challenging each other in free throw shooting and, and golf and, and s- several other events. Um, if, if you and your son had a kerchen Olympics, uh, what are the events that you would dominate, even at your
3: age? Oh, my son's a good little athlete, but I've played more golf than he has. So I will beat him in golf, although he he thinks he can beat me now. I'm not <laughs> sure he can. He just hasn't Ooh. played enough. Basketball, he'll never be able to outshoot me. And I'm sixty five years old. But yes. I will tell you I I am the slowest man alive now. I need a hip replacement. So that I can't be true. I alive. I can't beat my son in one on one anymore. And well, the last time I played, we played to three. And I beat him three to two. Look, I stink. Let's be clear about this. So I can't beat him in one on one, but I can outshoot him still. He'll be the first one to acknowledge that a- any other sport that requires, you know, two healthy hips, he's going to beat me. So I, I think we'll we'll start with golf and basketball, certain parts of basketball, and I'll have a chance. Tim, when's the last time you sent food back at a restaurant? You know, I, I can honestly say I've only done that one time. I'm a, I'm pretty much a well-done guy. A lot of people just oh, yeah. yell at me when I order a steak, medium <laughs> well. I've ordered it well before, and the waiter looks at me like I'm a complete idiot. I, and oh, wow. I love seafood, but I even tell them, make sure you you know, you you can cook the salmon, don't worry. And the salmon came back essentially raw in the middle. And I very politely said, could you just throw this on the grill for another minute and a half? And they did. That's the only time in 65 years that I've ever sent anything back at a restaurant. I need you
1: to, something else food related real fast. I need you to make me feel like less of a bad person. Have you ever fibbed to your wife about things you may have eaten on a road trip? Cause like maybe she wants you to be eating healthy and you veered off. Have we ever, you know, fib to the wife about, you know, uh, maybe if you indulged a little.
3: Uh, no, I would lie the other way around. I would say that I had a steak when I actually had another salad. Listen, <laughs> at my age and my size, <laughs> Every meal that I eat looks like the bottom of a hamster cage anyway. So she wants me (laughs) to eat more bad stuff because she thinks I'm too small, which is all true. But um, I I, I've just decided at my age, if I'm going to keep going here, I have to eat well. Otherwise it's going to show up a lot quicker on a guy who's five, four and a half than a guy who's six, four and a half.
2: Yeah, that's true. Tim, uh, you mentioned basketball. When you're on a pickup game uh, court, What's the angriest you've ever been at a whippersnapper? You know, somebody a half your age, maybe a third of your age who was either showing off or fouling or
3: something like that. So our team won seven games in a row in the gym, which I used to play in at lunchtime. A new guy who we've never seen before joins our team for the eighth game. So we've already won seven games in a row. And I have like, 50 not 50 points I mean 50 buckets in seven games okay so I in like the first possession of the eighth game throw a terrible cross-court pass it is intercepted by the other team and they go in for a layup and the new guy looks at me and goes come on man like, like I'm not even trying, okay? So I, I was a little bit insulted by that. In fact, I was furious. So he was yeah. way younger than me and way bigger than me. So I threw a very hard chest pass to him from mm. a very great distance away. Yes. He recognized I was really angry. He took the ball, ran towards me, threw it like a baseball and then we scuffled for about, oh, I would church. say, two seconds. I lost that fight badly. It was at lunchtime at the YMCA I was 45 years old so all of this qualifies as the most pathetic part of my entire life no to get in a fight <laughs> in an, a jerk. In, an, in a lunchtime basketball game with someone I don't even know and the only thing worse than that is he was on my team how can that happen so that yeah. was the most embarrassing thing ever I always try to answer the question Greg I hate answering that question but that's the answer. That's the angriest I've ever been.
2: Well, you had a right to be angry. I would have whistled that guy for being a bad teammate for reacting like he did when you had a
3: pass intercepted. Come on. Well, wow. you're the leading scorer. <laughs>
2: Give you a break. When you go
3: into an enemy gym like that and nobody knows you, believe me, I've done this a thousand times. You play by the rules that they play by. And then once they trust you, if they trust you, then you can assert yourself a little bit more, but it's their gym. You're a visitor. You do what they tell you to do. You play their style of game until you say, all right, I know how to handle all this.
2: Tim, we'll we'll let you go, but I want to ask you, Harking back to baseball again. Um, So much nowadays is negative, and we've talked about a lot of it, the things that need to change and so forth. What is it about your enduring love affair with baseball as a new season begins? What is it about this game that you just continue to cherish and always will?
3: Well, first, the players today are unbelievably good. In the last 10 years, starting with Trout and Harper, it's amazing how many great young players have come into the game. And now we have Bobby Witt Jr. And last year, we had Wander Franco. They're everywhere. But to answer your question, Greg, it's I I just love the box scores. I just love the rhythm of the season. I just love to wake up every single morning drink a Diet Mountain Dew and look at the box scores and see <laughs> who got 3 hits last night and what team what teams are doing with their bullpen and all the strange things that happen and it all starts With opening day. I mean, beautiful things happen on opening day if you're paying attention. And I'll finish with this. 82 Rangers. I'm covering the Rangers on the beat guy for the Dallas Morning News. And George Wright is a rookie center fielder for the Rangers. So he goes three for five on opening day 1982. And I say to George after the game, George, did you have a good time today? And he goes, yeah, I've never been to a major league game before. So the first (laughs) game he had ever attended He got three hits in that game. Think about that for a second. So those are the little moments that happen on opening day and basically happen all throughout the season if you're paying attention. And every day something might happen that you've never seen before. And Greg, that's what keeps me coming back.
1: Tim, we miss you. We love you. Thank you for carving time out for us today. Uh, We'll talk soon, hopefully.
3: Okay, fellas. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Greg. Talk to you guys soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. All right.
0: It's the sight, the sound, the smell of it. Morning, night, or noon. It's the feeling you're always welcome. And when you leave, we'll see you soon. It's the place you always go. Diner, the you feel
2: at step back in time when you step into Nellie's Diner. It's the only place in town to taste Wild Bill Cody's Bison Burger, deep fried in Nana's hundred-year-old lard. Or try a tall stack of our award-winning PFBI Pancakes. Dig into the signature Banganathan Salad. Or try an Uncle Dick Footlong. Anything you want, and anytime you want it, we got it. All served up with a free side of smiles. We are right where we've been for 60 years at 1440 Zagaki Street downtown. Nellie's Diner. It's the taste of home you never had because your mom sucked at cooking.
0: It's the taste of Nellie's Diner that makes you feel at
2: home.
1: All right, Dad. That was a good interview. Nelly's Diner, a classic. Um, you're, I'm worried about you, though. You, you keep doing this thing where you're making me talk, your voice. like I thought we were you had a bad week a few weeks ago and then you got a little better and now he seemed to be having another rough go of it. I'm not, I'm, I'm being like me and Yeti were talking when you walked away before to get water. Not funny anymore. The cough thing, like, like we need to, we need to fix this thing.
2: Believe me, it's certainly not funny to me either. And we're about to go on a five day cruise. And the idea of me uh, coughing through a cruise ship is terrifying to my family and to uh, other cruisers who I don't even know. So, We're going to try to get a miracle cure before then.
1: That is true. Coughing is, it's, it's the one thing like from this pandemic. Oh yeah. When people cough around me now, I'm like more like, I used to not give a shit when people coughed around me. Now when people cough around me, I'm like, what's up with you? and you like get these uncontrollable fits of coughing where you're so insecure about
0: it, and I do feel bad for you in these moments because people are definitely thinking you have COVID. Right. You're going to be in the buffet line, and you'll have it to yourself. A couple of coughs. Heady play, actually, Greg. A couple of coughs, cutting it up. There you go. Uh, Now, uh, we're going to go to our next guest,
2: and I don't think uh, Christopher was uh, in Yeti probably, too. I don't think you guys were as nearly as excited about this guest as I was, I no, am. Because. I'm
1: gonna. I'm gonna be honest. I was the opposite of excited going into this. <laughs> but <laughs> hearing your genuine, like you get genuinely moved by this game. This game genuinely had an effect on your life and and the way you came up. And I that comes across in this interview. So I actually enjoyed it after I was done with it. Um, the guy that uh, we're talking to, his his mic situation is not great. So oh you, you know, laugh along with us as we. Push through the audio. You can hear him. It's good enough where you can kind of hear what he's saying. But the the, the old man that invented stratomatic baseball doesn't lead the league in audio quality. No, um, Chris Whittingham would have had a stroke
0: if I've, he was. I thought of him the entire time I was yeah. cutting this one up. Oh my god!
1: So we want to just preface yes. that and and apologize for that on the front end. But I think it has a charm to it because he's such an old man that I didn't want to like go through the whole thing of Hey, sir, can you? Go into your say like I was like just you know what I'm just gonna let the man have his audio and uh, but it was it like I said it's a nice interview and so go ahead dad you can tee it up because we're joined by a couple people
2: yeah I just want to tee it up by saying that um, when when I think of my childhood at 1440 uh, most of you know by now that was my home address growing up I think of two things uh, PFPI and Stratomatic those were the two things both sports related baseball and football that sort of tied together. Uh, my childhood and and my family, and brought us all closer together. And um, particularly PFPI because Stratomatic was a, a solo endeavor, but it meant so much to me growing up. It really did. And I was genuinely, it was a cheap thrill for me to have on Hal Richmond. I was like a fanboy. I mean, this guy's the inventor of Stratomatic, and even if that means nothing to ninety nine percent of people listening, I wanted to. And and for the one percent of you. You're welcome.
1: And even though it sounds like my dad's getting emotional there, his voice is just crap. (laughs) Right.
2: It does sound like I'm coming to tears. So that's good in this case. I have to tell you what a thrill it is to have uh, Stratomatic represented on our podcast today because, and and we have with us Hal Richmond, the inventor, the godfather of Stratomatic baseball and and John Garcia, the, the company's chief content officer. Um, Hal, I, I want to thank you personally because the game you invented was a huge part of my life from about, I would say, from age 12 to about age 16, uh, which, which is why I had no social life in high school because I was <laughs> in my bedroom playing about 10 games of Stratomatic every single day for four years in a row. So thank you, Al. Well,
4: you're, you're quite welcome. And I always always appreciate stories like that. I mean, uh, my age, I can use stories like that. They're always, <laughs> they, they, they make the, the day seem shorter.
2: Um, Hal, who are some of the people you've heard from over the years, either directly or secondhand, uh, who've had stories like that? Because I know, just to, to drop one name, I know Bob Costas is a huge Stratomatic fan. Who uh, grew up playing and and may still play for all I know. Uh, wh- what kind of people have you heard from over the years with stories like that?
4: Well, going way back, Rocky Calavito. Remember that name? Sure. He was an outfielder for the Indians, and I think maybe the Tigers, but isn't it? He was silly with the Indians. I uh, I used to have a friend who used to call me up with makeup names. So a man calls me up says my name is Rocky Calavito. I don't believe him. And I said to him, where were, you, where, where were you born? So I knew he was born in New York. I lived in New York. And he said, New York? And he gave me all the right answers. I said to myself, wow. I said to myself oh, wow. my gosh, you must be Rocky Calavito. <laughs> and that was, one of the, that was a very funny call. And many, you know, at one point, I, I do know uh, a fellow named Alan Schwartz once uh, heard a book on baseball. And he indicated at one point, 40% of all the baseball executives had a background of stratomatic. Wow. So, you know, so the game has really uh, impacted the sport greatly. You
2: know what I wonder, and and this may be a question for John Garcia, your uh, chief content officer. How did the game stay relevant? Because Stratomatic, the way I first knew it, uh, struck me as a game that could very easily have become a dinosaur and not ad- adapt to the times when when online happened, when digital happened. Uh, how did the, the Stratomatic reinvent itself to stay so current
5: yeah so um we really view ourselves as a kind of a content company now um not just a game company and that really started with baseball daily so as you mentioned like prior to baseball daily stratomatic has always been looking back we, we come out with the recently completed season right before the next one starts and you know you play replay the season or in a draft right. league or many of the other multitude of ways that our gamers can play but when we came out in baseball daily in 2015 for the first time we were able to look forward and project that afternoon's games predict the upcoming season um re- really became forward looking for the first time and and immediately we were able to run simulations using that data and immediately received immediate attention because of that actually in yeah. um, that 2015 world series we simulated that series ahead of time using that baseball daily set and it was kind of remarkable how close our simulated games were to the actual results of the games. We we matched the blown save. This was the the Mets Royal series. We we hit home runs by Elsitis Escobar and Alex Gordon and David Wright and Conforto, and then we had Game Five. And Game Five was that Matt Harvey game. We had his line exact through seven innings, wow. um, short of one strikeout. Uh, we differed in that we removed Harvey from that game. Hmm. The Mets won. <laughs> Terry or Terry Collins did not. And, you know, that that was the rest is history there. But that really got a large amount of attention and we continue to simulate the World Series every year and similar type of accuracy. And then in 2020, um, when the world stopped, we stepped in to simulate the baseball season as it would have happened. Mm-hmm. We played out every single game on the schedule from April through the end of July when baseball returned. And it was kind of at that point, we had we have this huge data library. We have 150 years of baseball history. We have 60 plus seasons in football and basketball and hockey. And at that point really began leveraging that whole content library and creating for various media outlets. Um, we're just able to use it in new ways that we haven't before. We have partnerships with NBC Sports uh, Boston where we run weekly simulations. Uh, Marquee Sports Network. Uh, last year, we had four billion media impressions. Wow. Just on the various simulations, other ways. So, I mean, our our game is as good as ever. Um, the board game, our Windows game. We have you know, new stuff coming out uh, later this year. But it, it's also, it's not just our games. It's, it's the media side too, our content side.
1: Were you guys able to predict the Astros cheating and banging on trash cans? Did you guys catch that? <laughs>
2: we didn't know the cheating part at the time.
1: That would have helped.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so um, put it in perspective for me. What, what percentage of your business continues to be the old school cart, you know, board game that, that I grew up on? It's really, it's
5: really about 50-50, Really? Yeah, uh, you know, we uh, we're always going to have our board game. Uh it's it's a huge part of what we do and it will always be. And same with our windows game. Um I mean Stratomatic, uh, I think it's the greatest game ever made and uh, to be able to play it in various ways um still 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 as uh good as I got to get that
1: three column. You got to get
5: that yeah, three you column have to.
2: <laughs> Yeah, you really do. I, I was saying that before we came on the air. If I had a uh, if Yaz was up at bat and I rolled a, a 3 9 or a three ten. I didn't even have to look. I knew somebody was scoring a run um, because of that, uh, that roll. Um, I wonder, I've, I've been wondering this a, a long time. I've never uh, had a chance to ask you or seen the question raised, but uh, the game is so statistics oriented. Um, why didn't you call it stat-omatic instead of a strat-omatic? Strategy.
4: The name originated. Uh, during a snowstorm <laughs> in 1961 or, or no, 1960, I guess. November, okay. Uh, I was shoveling snow and I was going through the uh, dictionary and there was a word called strategical medical at that time in the dictionary. No more there. Okay. And so I was shoveling the snow and I had this word in my mind, strategical medical and i showed it to stratomatic and it's just, that was it, you know, it was, it was that simple, you know, uh, and the word has disappeared from the dictionary, but Stratomatic itself, the word is, lives on, as you know. Wow. Uh,
2: wow.
1: I don't know why I'm imagining every year, a holiday party where the invite list is all the creators of the most iconic board games of all time. where like the monopoly guy and chess <laughs> and checkers and Scrabble and Stratomatic and risk and sorry you guys all to get together and have a bit like kind of like a master's dinner where you're like one guy picks the meal i don't know like is this happened give me some good stories
4: <laughs> i, I can't, the only story i can give you uh, you know this i, I because was really independent of all of them, but uh we, we were not really part of the toy industry uh, we were, uh, we did business with a company called KB Toy and Hobby. I don't know if you remember that company. We had quite a few stores and we knew the owner, uh, not the owner, but the man who ran the company. And he defined us really as, as almost almost more like a book than a, than a, than a toy or a game. And uh, so I was never really, uh, you know, part of that industry. Hmm. Uh, but the only thing I can tell you about the industry I do know was a man who created Monopoly. Uh, and, you know, that was created during the Depression. And that was one of the reasons why I was so successful. It was about money which no one had at the time. Uh, he tried to create a baseball game, but he failed. That I do know. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I but otherwise, <laughs> other than that, I had no connection at all uh, with, uh, with the towing industry.
2: Well, we're, we're gonna we're gonna let you guys go. Jerry Garcia from, uh, uh from or uh, John Garcia. Jerry Garcia,
1: that would be <laughs> please, a good get.
2: Please, please edit that out. I used to be a Deadhead back in my. Uh, no, I gotta TV leave that in. Now in. we day. now
1: we can tease that we have Jerry Garcia on this episode. <laughs> uh,
2: John, thank you for joining us, but Hal, especially again, um, I want to tell you what a thrill it is to meet you because uh, what you invented and created uh, was truly a big part of. Uh, of my childhood. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well,
4: thank you for these comments. I
2: appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you.
1: Jo- and John, where should our audience like find you guys on, I don't know, like social or just give like a plug for whatever, you know, our audience can do to, to help and get in the game as, as you guys might say.
5: Yeah. You can find us at uh, stratomatic.com strat-o-matic.com on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram, all the, uh, all social media roll over there too cool
1: thanks for joining us guys thanks for
5: having us on
2: thanks guys appreciate it right jerry garcia what
1: an asshole i am we should thank i can't believe harold that guy harold joined us from space that was i know that that was quite the that i really like that's our first guest that we've ever had actually willing to join from space
2: i almost said something to him but what are you gonna do
1: I mean, like, I I just didn't want to go down the whole rabbit hole of trying to explain to that guy how to try to, like, potentially improve his audio. Like, you can can understand. It's almost funny and, like, endearing when an old person has terrible audio.
0: You never know. So, Greg, is Hal Richmond the oldest guest that has ever been on this podcast?
2: Hmm. I believe so.
0: Yeah. I'm trying trying to to think think
2: who's second. Yeah, who
1: else would be? Um, Uncle Dick? Uncle Dick. Yeah,
2: Uncle Dick would be second. (laughs) because <laughs> he's 76 trombones um and then kirchens 65 who else have we had that's like in the 60s or older i can't even think of anybody
0: uh how old's dick stockton i don't know
2: oh dick stockton that's a good one i forgot about dick stockton broadcast hall of famer who sang for us uh
1: what's it all about alfie these platted, I, all i remember from that interview actually i do remember him singing that was cool too and he also did play-by-play of me doing cereal and, and like and i botched it and i like talked over him yes
0: that was wonderful
1: besides those things the only thing i think of when i think of the dick stockton interview is you guys giving false platitudes to each other it was just a love <laughs> fest between greg cody and dick stockton oh i'm such a big fan of your career oh man i've listened to every game you've ever called oh i've read all your call- Like and i was like you <laughs> yeah. guys are both full of shit right now right both of you
2: yeah uh that's that's <laughs> Possibly true. Uh I, I do think we both admire each other. Um and uh he, he lives down here. I think he lives up in Palm Beach, an hour north of us. So the, the chances that he has been a reader of my column. Right, so maybe
1: you're just full of possibly. it because you're not listening to these Dick Stockton. You don't even know when Dick Stockton's calling a game. Like oh yeah,
2: I do. Very distinctive voice. I love me some dick. Stockton.
1: <laughs> <laughs> dad all right let's get out of here that was a good i think we could, we're we not gonna do any better than that, that was you're good.
0: cruising next week right oh yeah we, we are. are
1: man we should tease that that's right next week's episode is going to be a treat you're going to get to spend a night on a cruise ship with the cody's it's going to be it. fun we're going to do one, our first night on the cruise we're going to document the whole thing and we're going to send it to yeti and yeti will put it together and you will have an episode even though next week we will be in the middle of our cruise we will put out an episode and we're excited about it because it's going to be fun because you know greg cody night one of a cruise can be a dangerous game so hell yeah
2: um you, you know what interests me about that is that uh the, the cody family we're cruisers uh, we've been on a, a dozen or more cruises but i am not presumptuous and i think that maybe what 60 70 percent of our audience maybe has never been on a cruise ship and so we're going to try to uh, bring you into the whole experience of what it's like, particularly coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we'll all be wearing hazmat suits, so everything's going to be fine.
0: I want a documentation of a three-in-the-morning walk to the ice cream machine. Yes. Yeah. Huh, that That's what I mean. did on the one cruise I've been on. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. At three, I'm still uh, I'm still losing roulette at roulette. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. All right, get so
0: us anyway. out of
2: here, Greg. Yeah, so say bye to the episode, Dad. Hey, yeah, hey bye to the episode. You're petering out. Uh, podcast family, thank you very much, as always. Unless I fall overboard, uh, we'll, see you, uh, we'll see you next week. See you. Bye-bye. Love you.
0: We'll change the episode to the, you're now listening to the Man Overboard podcast without Greg Cody. <laughs> That's right. That's not a bad name for a podcast, by the
2: way. Man Overboard, M-O-B.